This is the Police Canine Training Podcast with Jeff Meyer. Join us for each episode to get real-world advice from canine professionals who have experience on the street. Each episode will focus on up-to-date information that you can use on the street. Spend about 30 minutes with us each week as part of your training day. Our goal at Police Canine Training is to make every canine team be the best they can be. Welcome to the Police Canine Training Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have uh, Mike Kamisic from Sheepdog Guardian back with me. As I promised uh, last month, we're going to have Mike on here pretty regularly doing uh, updates. So Mike's doing all the research on these cases, and then he's also out. He's teaching all over the country. So between those two things, doing the research and kind of uh, checking all the cases on detector and patrol stuff, and then uh, when you're out and you're teaching and you're meeting people, and, and he, I think he's out probably every week doing a class, it just really keeps Mike right in the middle of everything. So he really understands what the hot button issues are. And we're going to use this forum as an opportunity to have him come on and kind of talk about just one issue and kind of go over it, you know, so it'll be a 20, 30 minute issue that we'll be able to bring in. And uh, today I've got, got Mike here. So how are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great, Jeff. Uh, thanks uh, for having us back. We appreciate it. Yeah. I know you've been busy. You've uh, been traveling a lot, or did you take a little time off for the holidays? Uh, no, we, uh, um, we we finished last year, I think, with uh, 37 uh, seminars uh, all the way up to mid-December, and then um, started up uh, the 8th of uh, January. Wow. Um, again, seminars. So, um, yeah, already we're... Uh, three three seminars in uh for this year i was down uh, did a uh, one day conference uh down in alabama and then uh slid right on over to uh jeff uh, jefferson parish louisiana down in the new orleans area and uh, did a two-day patrol and a supervisor class uh, so three days total so um yeah it's already we're we're, we're rolling right we're, along yeah we are we're rolling right along here so uh yeah we're doing well, good. good. I, I, I'm I'm glad you're busy because that means uh, people want to learn more and kind of stay stay on top of things, which is always a good sign. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to jump on here with me. So we can jump right into it. I know we, uh, we've talked a little bit, and you've got a topic that you wanted to to kind of bring bring out today. So uh, what's on your mind today? Okay, so um, this is an issue that. Um, I think it comes up regularly in our discussions, uh, in our seminars, and I've been kind of, kind of beating the drum on this in the seminars. I think uh, handlers and, and trainers um, have a misunderstanding of what uh, the Supreme Court of the United States said in Florida uh, versus Harris. Okay, and. Um, just as a reminder for the listeners, so here, here's the kind of the fact pattern in Florida versus Harris. We we have a Florida deputy um, uh, knows uh, Harris kind of to be like a, a, a local known doper and um, sees Harris driving down the street. So he you know, curbs his vehicle on a traffic violation, gets his dog Aldo out of the vehicle, does a free air sniff and the dog alerts. And, um, you know, subsequent to the dog alert, the uh, handler does a, um, a probable cause search of the uh, Harris's uh, vehicle uh, under the automobile exception doctor, and, and, and he doesn't find anything. And so, you know, the, the deputy's like, all right, you know, um, 
got me got one up on me today pretty much and uh you know writes his uh, ticket or warning and sends harris on his way and um the following week or you know within a, a, a relatively short uh, time period the the deputy sees the same deputy sees harris driving down the street and um curbs Harris's uh, vehicle again uh, on a traffic violation and gets Aldo, the dog, out of the car again and does a free air sniff. And again, the the dog alerts. And um, this time, though, when the deputy searches the vehicle, um, you know, he gets a, a ton of uh, drug evidence um, um, yeah. out of the vehicle. And this kind of Harris moves to suppress the evidence and in relevant part to our discussion, the basis for that suppression was challenging Aldo's reliability. And, uh, you know, it makes it to the Supreme court of Florida in a case called state versus Harris. And the, the Florida Supreme court kind of creates a laundry list of, um, of uh, things for the lower Florida courts to use to determine if a police dog is reliable. And at the top of that, the gold standard, um, the Supreme Court of Florida said is, you know, how does the dog actually perform in the field? So in other words, you know, operational or field deployment uh, uh, statistics and records. And uh, so of course, Florida doesn't like this. They file a writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, they grant that writ and we have Florida versus Harris. Now, the Supreme Court, if you listen to the oral arguments in this and you listen and, and you read the briefs and you listen to the questions questions uh, that the justices were asking, and then you read the opinion, the justices really have a pretty good understanding of how odor works and kind of how drug dogs, you know, sure. work, you know, generally in, in my reading, you know, and, you know, that's as a... You know, a 19-year canine handler, um, uh, I- industry expert, um, you know, by yeah. the court, an attorney view. And so one of the things that we, we start looking at when we look at this case is the Supreme Court of the United States kind of defined, again, uh, what the probable cause standard is. And they said, you know, probable cause is a, is a low standard. You know, is there a fair probability that contraband or evidence of a crime will be found in a particular place? That's really the standard. But then they went on and they started talking about what evidence would be, um, you know, necessary to kind of show that this dog is is sufficiently reliable to provide a basis for that probable cause. And uh, they said, um, you know, that they believe that the Florida supreme court putting the gold standard um uh on on the field performance was kind of misplaced and they went on to talk about um uh, the dog's performance in controlled settings and we know as handlers that those controlled settings would be training certification and proficiency assessment and they said you know that's that's kind of the better measure um but they they didn't completely um, reject the field uh, performance standard. And one of the things that, uh, and I think that's one of the things that handlers and trainers kind of miss. And what the Supreme Court said is um, a defendant must have the opportunity to challenge such evidence of a dog's reliability. 
um, whether by cross-examining the testifying officer or by introducing their own factor expert witnesses. So you start thinking about that, like, okay, well, that makes sense, right? And they said, for example, may contest the adequacy of a certification or a training program, you know, perhaps asserting that, you know, the standards are too lax or their methods faulty. Um, And they they said so, too, the defendant may examine how the handler uh, and the dog performed in the assessments uh, made uh, in those conditions. But here's the part that I think um, goes missed by most people. And they said, indeed, evidence of a dog or handler's history in the field, although susceptible to the kind of misinterpretation we have discussed, may sometimes be relevant. They said the defendant can uh, ask the handler if the handler is on the stand about field performance, and then the court can give that answer whatever weight is appropriate. So in other words, the court acting as the fact finder and the the, uh, determination of credibility, it's up to them to assign a way to uh, what the handler just testified to. And they said, even assuming a dog is generally reliable, circumstances surrounding a particular alert may undermine the case for probable cause if, say, the officer cued the dog consciously or not, or if the team was working under unfamiliar conditions. And so I have many states, um, pursuant to their own jurisdictional rulings, have said, um, well, you know, Florida versus Harris is the standard uh, analysis for dog reliability. Um, you know, defendants still are required to, um, if they ask, the handler's still required to turn over, um, you know, field performance yeah. reliability records. Now, there are some states that have flat out rejected that uh, that argument, but we, <clears throat> I've been warning kind of about this and. And saying, you know, we, we have, there are teams out there that say, hey, you know, Mike, we uh, we get rid of all of our training records after every certification. And I like, look at them and yeah. like, well, why would you do that? Oh, well, that's what Florida versus Harris said. <laughs> like, you know, I think uh, maybe you should go back and read Florida versus yeah. Harris because it didn't say that at all. And we know that there are um, agencies that don't keep field performance records, um, and they, you know, citing Florida versus Harris. But when you look at what the, the court said in that passage there, um, it really throws doubt into whether or not we should be, um, you know, accurately detailing, at least from a statistical percentage standpoint, um, our, our accuracy uh, in the field. But another issue comes up there is like, well, Mike, <clears throat> if my dog alerts and I, on the street in an operational environment, if my dog alerts and I search the car and I don't find anything, you know, like that doesn't mean my dog is wrong. And I agree with you. And, and the Supreme Court agrees with that. They, they understand that issue. Yeah. Um, so the, it's just about documenting it appropriately. So if we look at our scientific community, um, they they gave us some really good um, terminology that we can use. So if your dog on the street or in, in an operational environment um, goes into a trained final response or an indication, then the appropriate, um, I'll use the term coding, would be a um, non-productive response. In other words, you know, the dog um, went into a trained final, we searched, we didn't find anything, this could be because of residual uh, odor um, or lingering odor, or it could be because it's an error, but we just can't 
tell in an operational environment. Maybe, I don't know if the word justifies the right way, but try to explain why the dog would have done a, a final response. Yeah, I think um, I, I think that's reasonable uh, in that situation, and and um, you know try to confirm uh, what the dog has told you, right? Um, and so I think that's best practices. And now, if your dog goes into an alert behavior uh, without a trained final response, then our scientific community has told us the appropriate um, terminology would be an unconfirmed alert. Again, meaning that the dog went into an alert, but, um, you know, we can't, there's there's nothing physically recoverable that we could sure. confirm the dog. So same thing um, that you just said, Jeff, then, then we should be, you know, interviewing the, the occupants of the vehicle to try and confirm that. And <clears throat> so I've been kind of warning about this and, um, you know, uh, in our seminars especially in states where we don't have any case law that's directly on point that would lend us guidance in either direction, or we have case law that um, specifically uh, within that particular jurisdiction does have guidance that says, hey, you need to turn this over, or you don't need to turn this over. But now we just see a a relatively new case that came out of, um, again, we go back to uh, Idaho. Um, The Idaho Supreme Court in September of 2023, a case called State versus Pendleton. And um, this is kind of the very issue that keeps coming up in this case. So, and we have a traffic stop, you know, free air sniff, dog alerts. And so the defendant in this case, Pendleton, the attorneys file a, a motion to compel um under the idaho criminal rules of six uh, rules 16 um which talks about the disclosure of evidence you know in in idaho as it relates to criminal proceedings and they asked for um 10 items as part of this motion to compel um any and all document uh any and all deployment and utilization tracking reports for the dog any and all reports for field interviews all written reports uh, of other drug sniffs performed by this dog. Um, did, they have a, did they have a time frame they wanted or just anything that was ever produced? Yeah, so the district court, after hearing this motion initially, um, told the state that they were required to com- uh, uh, to turn over a year. Um, and, and the state filed a motion to reconsider and said, you know, basically, hey, this is like unduly burdensome on us to turn over all of these records. And, and you know, Florida versus Harris said, you know, that we don't need, you know, to turn over these records and blah, blah. And on the motion to reconsider, the district court said, I'll tell you what, um, we, yeah, a year is probably maybe a little bit, uh, you know, um, burdensome to sure. the state and that over. And what really kind of turned the district court's opinion as to requiring the state to comp- uh, uh, to turn this over, to compel the state to turn this over, is that they hired an expert witness, the defendant did, and the expert witness, uh, a guy by the name of Jerry Potter, said he could not determine 
um, certain uh, aspects of the case without these records. So if you read Florida versus Harris about um, the defendant having uh, the right to present their own factor expert witnesses, and now we... So the uh, Hamilton, she uh, calls an expert witness um, in this case, and the expert witness, a guy by the name of Jerry Potter, said that he noted several concerning behaviors throughout this particular sniff. Um, but in order to properly evaluate it, he needed all of uh, the requested information. And so when we look at Florida versus Harris, um, you know, the Supreme Court said, hey, the defendant has the right to, you know, call their own fact or expert witnesses to come up. So it's certainly within uh, the purview of, of Florida versus Harris. And um, the district court ultimately said, um, listen, to make this um, not unduly burdensome on the state, we'll, we'll change this from one year's worth of records to the, you know, four months previous to the, uh, the yeah, sniff. Start, yeah. yeah. And um, so the state, of course, files um, an appeal uh, to the Supreme Court of Idaho and the Supreme Court of Idaho, citing Florida versus Harris, um, affirms the district court's decision to compel the state to turn over uh, all of these records, including um, prior deployment uh, deployments and things like that. So it is uh, it, it, it's just one of those issues that um, keep rearing its its ugly head. Um, and so I strongly encourage handlers um, to at least keep statistical data. Um, you know, uh, when their dog is on the street, the alerts versus uh, fines versus um, either non-productive responses and uh, unconfirmed alerts. And as you said, um, those that were confirmed through uh, an interview, you know, with the occupants yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things I hear sometimes is, well, we, you know, we get rid of those records because we can't produce what we don't have. And there's, I think some handlers think that somehow would shield them, but if you can't produce those records, then um, they're just going to, they're going to probably side against you at that point. So there's not, there's no advantage to trying to play those kind of games that I can see. Well, I, I, I agree. And I think, I mean, first of all, the, we're not going to get one over on the court. Um, and I think by, by saying, Hey, we don't have those records. Then the question becomes that of credibility. Well, yeah. why don't you have those records and what are you trying to hide? And, it's, and to your point, the state's argument in the Pendleton case was, well, we don't have these records in our possession. And the court said, well, then get them from the police department. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's really that simple. Yeah. Somebody's uh, got them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you don't have them, then the, then the, the question, like we said, is, well, why don't you have them? And, and is there something you're trying to hide? And then it goes to a credibility determination, which going back to Florida versus Harris, the Supreme Court said, well, it's up to the court to make that determination because they're the finders of the fact, right? And, yeah. and they're the ones who determine credibility because the witnesses are sitting in front of them. So now I'd be interested to see um, because this is the second, I think, pretty big Idaho Supreme Court decision that was rendered in 2023. Um, I think everybody's 
familiar at this point, hopefully, with uh, State versus Dorf, which is the trespassing to vehicle yeah. with the gun touching the vehicle. And uh, the um, state of Idaho did file a writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court of the United States. And um, luckily, uh, the Supreme Court um, decided they didn't even want to hear the case. So um, I think that's a good thing. Okay, so if they don't want to hear it, then it'll just stand in Idaho? Um, Correct. It's just stand in Idaho. Then, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, any uh, precedential effect outside, uh, you know, the state of Idaho. And I think that's good. Now, my question is on this, will the state do the same thing, um, try to file a writ um, to get it before the Supreme Court on these um, deployment records? Um, You know, that remains to be seen. And um, I, I think at this point, you know, um, it, it would probably be best in everybody's best interest if it just, you know, that kind of stayed in Idaho and, okay. and um, leave it at that. Because, so, you know, I think the mandate in Florida versus Harris, you know, um, is it, fairly, fairly clear when you when you actually read through the whole case and you, you know, you look at the issues um, in the opinion. And so but the confusion that you're seeing is still in general is that people don't want to hand over the records that they're, they're being compelled to hand over. Is that where a lot of the, the disconnect is? Yes, that's exactly right. And, and, and you know how it is, Jeff, um, some trainer, canine trainer says somewhere, Oh yeah, you don't eat those things. And, and then that's spreading like wildfire and now it's that group. And then it goes to the next group and the next group. And, you know, it's becomes very watered down at that point. Um, so, you know, my, my biggest thing is, is, oh, what your jurisdiction says as it relates to that and um, comply with the rules. And if there are no cases that would lend guidance, uh, no cases directly on point within your jurisdiction that would lend guidance, um, then, you know, it's probably a good idea to have a frank discussion uh, before it becomes an issue uh, with your local prosecutors, um, so that you guys are all on the same page, you know, uh, you're all on the same team, but yeah. you know, you don't get on the same page with this. And it's going to be up to the, you know, prosecutors as to what arguments they want to make. You know, many prosecutors don't want to make arguments, um, you know, that that's not the battle they, yeah. they choose, you know, to pick and they'd rather just turn over the records. And if that's the case, you know, we got to have them. So, and really, if you've got good records, um, I, I think you know, like when I look at expert witness cases, especially like on the patrol side, if I, when I'm looking through the records, if I don't see that they had to work on you know release or recall or something, but if what the records are producing to me are a perfect dog, I'm a little suspicious of those records, and I think <laughs> it's obviously the same on the narc dog thing. If if my dog is 100% on the street. But then when I look at a certification and maybe he's got a, he fails a cert or something and has to redo it, you start getting suspicious. So my point yeah. of bringing that up is if you're, you know, maybe a newer handler and you haven't experienced some of this as long and on your third, fourth, fifth deployment on the street, your dog does a final response, dig through the car, you find nothing. It's not the end of the world. Not, not any close. It's just showing that, that your dog probably is on residual odor. You know, you can, even if the occupants of the car don't want to admit to anything, you can uh, document all the other factors that were involved. The guy left a dope house. He's got priors. He's got this. He's got that. 
didn't admit to anything, but here's all the other weighted factors to it. And, you know, the dog did it, did alert and we didn't find anything, but it's not just like it's some grandma driving down the street and the dog alerted to, you know, her uh, hairspray in her purse. So it, it shows that, you know, that you're, you're documenting real times where your dog doesn't recover any dope, but doesn't necessarily, it's not the end of the world. Cause I think some people get so worried about what their percentages are and all those things. And, um, I don't, I don't personally think it's that big of a deal. How do you fall on that? I, I agree 100% with everything that you just said, and I would emphasize and underscore it. Um, all the courts in the country, whether you're talking about a patrol side of things or you're talking about the, the detection side of things, recognize that the dogs are not 100% perfect, right? And and any expert witness, like you said, on the other side, who comes in, that is a huge red flag. That's a red flag for those of us who are on the side yeah. of one. Hey, something's not right here. Um, and if you start looking at percentage operational field deployment, percentages of reliability where the courts have, have ruled that probable cause existed, we, we can look at cases from across the country. We have several cases. Bentley, United States versus Bentley is a good example. It's a Seventh Circuit case, 2015. Um, the dog in this case had a field percentage of reliability, a field performance percentage of reliability of 59.5%. So again, to emphasize what you just said, Jeff, don't get caught up on that, right? Yeah. Because you know, probable cause is, is, again, we go back to the what is probable cause? It's not 100%. You know, it's, it's, is there a fair probability that contraband or evidence of a crime will be found? Well, when we put this into perspective in its totality, um, that's where the court is going to uh, come to the determination, the reliability of the dog. And so I agree 100% with everything that you just said on that. And there's, there's several, I mean, you can just, there are just cases and after case after case, there's United States versus Lamaras, there's a 62% success rate, um, you know, and it just, it just goes yeah. on and on. And, on. and, and so, even, even if you documented something and, and say, you know, my dog hit on a burrito in the backseat of a car and never seen that before. Here's now my training records where we put out food as a distraction. We started working it all the time. So, you know, indeed this time it appears he was wrong. Um, but here's all the, the remediation we did and here's all the times that he's now passed it. And then chances are whatever the sniff is in question, then it's not a burrito in the back seat. It's dope in the trunk. So you can say, you know, even if they want to try to impinge your credibility because of that, you can say you didn't even have a burrito in your backseat. So it's two different deals. But I think people get so hung up on wanting to have the perfect dog and the perfect records, um, and they worry too much about those things. So I, I appreciate that you're throwing out the cases saying the, these statistics where, you know, they're in the 50s and 60% and they still are winning their cases because uh, it's, it's not the end of the world. Exactly. And most people don't realize, Jeff, that um... – uh, Illinois versus Cabayas, uh, which is a Supreme Court decision, uh, 2005, um, which most people know this is, you know, deals with free air sniffs during um, lawfully lawful traffic stops for the most part. But the court, the Supreme Court did address error rates in that particular case also. And they said error rates, particularly the existence of false positives or a false alert, you know, call into question the premise that, a, you know, a dog alert only to contraband. 
And they said, hey, Cabeus did not suggest an erroneous alert in and of itself reveals any legitimate private information. And then went in to talk about how the uh, trial judge um, in the uh, circuit court, uh, the Illinois circuit court, found that this dog was sufficiently reliable uh, to establish probable cause. So even, you know, we, we have these cases from all over that say this, but yet, as you said, handlers get really hung up on that and they shouldn't, you know, go out there, have good training records. Like you said, um, you know, make sure that we have distracting uh, and proofing odors within our, our training environment. So we can show that, yeah, my dog doesn't alert to burritos, you know, that's yeah. not something that, you know, we, we would tolerate, but like you said, in this is circumstance, the dog did, you know, so um, and the, the courts recognize that, you know, police officers um, aren't perfect and neither are their dogs. Yeah. You know, but it's not the standard. So, yeah. So just an issue that I, I thought would be, um, you know, good discussion yeah. for, for handlers to. Yes. Um, so in a nutshell, I mean, I've heard there's so many different and it's like you say, I think um, sometimes group leaders or trainers of a group or whatever uh, interpret this Harris case their own way. And sometimes incorrectly that they've interpreted or to suit their own argument or whatever. But I've heard, I've heard it both ways that you don't need training records and you just need a certification. I've heard you don't need a certification. You just need training records. So I, I like the idea of, of, you know, maybe simplifying it that what you need is, is good, solid, honest training records. And you still need a certification from a bona fide, what they call the bona fide organization, right? I mean, it doesn't, you don't, you're not relieved of either of those because of the Harris case. Right. Oh, I, 100%. And, and, and I think what it, what it tells us more than anything is, um, it is going to, it's the totality of all the circumstances leading up to the search that are going to be, um, used to determine whether probable cause had been established or not. And that includes the certification, includes the training. It includes the dog's past performance and it includes any other information like you had already uh, you know detailed yeah. here you know that the officers knew at that particular time so um I, I think that's that's the most important thing out of this is it, it comes down to what is the probable cause standard and it's it, it's it's an all things considered flexible um analysis yeah yeah and one other question on that are you hearing a lot of agencies that when they are being asked to produce, you know, these, you know, volume of records. Um, I know that some agencies have a policy that if you want to go get your traffic accident report, they charge you eight bucks a page or something like that. So are agencies charging the, the attorneys the same rate, the, the going rate for producing the records? I think it's, it really depends on the department. Um, I have heard, heard that. It also depends it, it, it depends on are these records coming in on a subpoena request, you know, are, are all these records coming in on like a Freedom of Information uh, Act? Because in many circumstances that, you know, uh, um, there's some difference sure, in there. Sure. As an example, in the state of Texas, right, if you look at the case law there, under the Texas uh, Public Information Act, the TPIA, um, the, the attorney general there has taken a position that the Texas Public Information Act exempts uh turning over any records related to the dog um because it may uh compromise pending criminal investigations under the texas law 
you know, now it's different if an attorney has subpoena, it has issued a subpoena of those records related to the actual uh, case that they're working. Yeah. And so I think it, it really determines, but, but a lot of times, cause I'll try to get records um, uh, under the freedom of information act, just for um, the cases that I put up uh, on our website. Yeah. If I can get body cam, if I can get video footage of it and things like that, yeah. so we can get it up. And um, some of these agencies are just literally charging yeah. <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> amounts of money for, for, um, for this stuff. So we do see it, but I think it really depends on, I think it depends on the agency. I think it depends on whether it's coming in as a subpoena or, you know, a Freedom of Information Act request. Yeah. If it's a fishing uh, expedition where they're just asking for all kinds of stuff, I, I think it's a great policy if you can implement yeah. it just to to maybe uh, curb their appetite for 6,000 pages if they're going to pay for them. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, I think that's, that's a, it's a good reminder and it's a, it's a, it's still a, a case that people, it's a very important case. I think everybody should uh, print that case out and get it on your website. And, and I know you've uh, summarized it and everything. So it's just one of those cases people, sh- you know, should be very familiar with. And if, if we've got more questions on it or something, shoot them to me or to, to Mike and we can always uh, do another follow up on here. But uh, again, I, I, I hear, it's funny. I hear both sides. I hear sometimes they say that you don't need certification or you don't need records, but the way I understand it, that you need both of them still. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with that. And, and, you know, the, the old adage, it's never a problem until it's a problem. Yeah. Right? And people don't think about it until the subpoena comes in and they're like, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's a, it's good, good information. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the update. I know you're staying busy. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on. We'll have you on here again, uh, pretty soon. We're going to, uh, next podcast we were talking about, we're going to, do a patrol case so we'll get you on here pretty quick and uh talk about some patrol stuff so i appreciate you coming on today sounds good jeff thanks for having me i much appreciate it and i hope uh all our handlers out there are staying safe and uh you know at the time of this uh, podcast it uh it's pretty cold out there so hope everybody's staying warm staying warm too yeah so all right thanks i'll talk to you soon all right thank you bye-bye all right, well, that's going to wrap up this episode with uh, Mike from Sheepdog Guardian. Make sure you check out his website over there at sheepdogguardian.com. I tell everybody it's well worth 50 bucks. So uh, if your department won't sign you up for it, pop for 50 bucks on your own. And he does so much research, and there's so much uh, past stuff on there. It'd take a year just to read through all the stuff. But uh, just this week I had a, a guy call me, and we were talking about a guy who's going around testifying against the cops. And it's easy to pop on that sheepdog guardian and uh, pull up all the cases that he's been involved in and uh, then turn around and hand them to your attorney, your prosecutor and show, you know, that this guy's probably not, not that uh, credible of a witness. So uh, real good, valuable information over there. So make sure you check it out. I do want to thank uh, the sponsors I had for this episode. Uh, as always, uh, you know, this, this is uh, their pay the bills for this podcast. So I sure appreciate them supporting it. Uh, Bob Eden from Cats. Uh, Cats is the first record-keeping software that was out there, so they've been doing it for about 30 years. Check out catsplatinum.com. Bob's on social media a lot, and you'll see uh, the guy is you know he's very much about our profession. So I just saw recently where he's offering some free um, software for people to use while they transition from a different uh, company 
because evidently that company raised their rates. So, and he said, no cost and no obligation, and I'll hold your records for you while you figure out what you're going to do. And that's kind of customer service you get out of uh, CATS. So, CATS is a great record keeping system. Check it out if you have any questions. Uh, you know, when you call to ask any questions, Bob's the one who answers it. So, uh, with just a touch of a button, you can produce reports, you can do all the documentation you need and everything on CATS. So, K A T S, CATS for record keeping. Uh, again, thank them for being a sponsor. Also, uh, Demonet Bite Suits, you've heard me mention the last couple shows. I really like Demonet Bite Suits. Uh, a great place to get a Demonet Bite Suit is at DemonetBiteSuits.com. And that's D E M A N E T B I T E S U I T S. DemonetBiteSuits.com. What's nice about there is it's kind of a one stop shop. You can get on there. They'll help you uh, go through the purchase process through your department if you need to. You can custom uh, order your suit and go through everything there. So, uh, com. If you've never used a Demone, you know, find someone in your training group, try it on, see what you think of it. Um, they're a very quality suit, and I think you would, uh, most people, once they've tried them, uh, do like them and they last a long time so some of the suits that are super flexible you don't get much life out of but i've had a demone bite suit for many many years now and it's uh it's getting worn but it's still uh, doing a great job so check out demonebitesuits.com and finally uh complete canine training so complete canine training.com and it's all c's so complete and then canine spelled out training.com uh, slash canine. So complete canine training. They're, they offer uh, green dogs, title dogs, uh, pre-trained dogs. They've got uh, some training set up and lots of different stuff going on at complete canine training. So the guys over there will push your limits and they're, they want to uh, help uh, you know get trained up for street deployments. So check out complete canine training.com and uh, give Chris a shout if uh, you need anything or you're interested in some of the dogs he has. So Again, I thank these sponsors. They're really, you know, I appreciate them jumping on and supporting my new show. Um, just for note, uh, I'll be in, uh, let's see, I'm in South Carolina here coming up soon. That class is sold out. Then we have a decoy school that the company's putting on in Casa Grande, Arizona. And then after that, we're going to, I have a couple of e-collar classes set up. Uh, one of them is in Payson, Arizona, and one is in New Mexico. So if you check out my website over at policecaninetraining.net, uh, it gives you all the information of the classes that we offer and what we have set up. And if you decide you want to host a class, that's easy to do too. So thanks everybody. I appreciate every, all the great questions and support I'm getting on this new podcast. Be safe.